there's a lot of miscommunication about what's really happening with kids on the spectrum. And I kind of want to help clear that up you know, uh, for you guys. So I'm going to stand back up again. Kind of animated. There goes my power cord. Hold on. Um, all right. So now, like I said, we're going to keep on going straight through. I'll probably be done like uh, 4, 10, 4, 15, if that's okay with you guys. So um, this is based upon a book that I read a number of years ago called Neurodiversity by Dr. Thomas Armstrong, who is a, a psychologist. Um, and I really like his information. Um, uh, and what he is stressing is this thing called neurodiversity, neurodiversity, which is, um, you know, over the last number of years, we went from about 100 different mental health diagnoses to uh, 302,000. And then um, a few years ago when DSM-5 came, uh, came out, now it's over 500 different mental health uh, uh, illnesses. That's a giant 50 years or, 60 years or something. Um, what, they're, what the NAH is saying, the National Institute of Health is saying that one quarter of all Americans in any year suffer some version of psychiatric disorder. So their conclusion is that everybody in the country may have some kind of illness, a psychiatric illness to one degree or another at some point in time in their life. That's kind of sad uh, to think, um, uh, you know, that like, it, I mean, yeah, people get down and depressed and whatever, but, but we're talking like, this is a significant amount of people who have a psychiatric uh, disorder. Um, that's a big chunk of the American population. <clears throat> and so I'm just skipping a bit here. Um, I think this is a great uh, comment about uh, here. This so we don't pathologize a lily for having not having petals. We don't call it having petal deficit disorder, right? Uh, like a rose doesn't look and say, "What's wrong with you?" Right? You know, you're just got one petal. I got fifty. Um, you know, it's just different. So what I want you to think of in this particular case, when people talk about uh, neurodiversity, is it is called I like calling it differently abled, not disabled, right? It's differently abled, not disabled. Um, in other words, a child who has, uh, or an adult for that matter, with some sort of disability, I don't like thinking that's a disability, it's just have a, they have a different ability, a different way of relating, a different way of thinking. So when you look at someone with autism, right, and mom or dad bring them into you, it's not about you getting rid of their autism, right? Because that's not what we do anyway, right? We don't, I don't treat a thing. I don't even treat back pain, right? It is about us making that person the best they can be, right? Is that fair? Is that fair? Making the person the best they can be. Um, uh, so so that when a dad asked me yesterday, is my autistic child going to speak? I don't know. Well, I, that's the thing I'm bringing him here for. Well, the only thing I can miss is that I'm going to remove subluxations and I'm going to make sure his brain is working as best as it can. That's all I can do. I just want the brain to work as best as it can. Uh, and that's the best I can do. Because um, I can't promise anything. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I wish I did, but I, I don't know how that child is going to respond you know, to care. I do know that the child's going to going to be better off getting adjusted than not being adjusted because anybody's brain does better when 
they're having the right input you know, to it. You'll have a child, uh, an adult with autism who's saying, thinking of people like me as only taken seriously if we learn your language. It's only when I type something in your language that you refer to me as having communication. Failure to learn your language is seen as a deficit, but failure to learn my language is seen as so natural. So what she's doing is she's kind of rocking like this and smelling things. and So she's got amazing verbal abilities and she just can't speak it. So is she disabled or is she differently abled? Excuse me, she's brilliant. She's a brilliant woman, a brilliant person, but she just doesn't have the ability to speak. But is that that's the thing that the dad didn't get. He's like, my, I want my kid to speak. I'm like, I want to speak too, right? But I can't make that a goal, right? I, unless I'm an ABA therapist, I can't make that a goal is to speak. But my goal is, is to remove interference. My goal is to make his brain work better. That's my goal. Neuroplasticity, that's my goal. Will that result in him speaking? I have no idea. You know, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. What I want is him to be the him he can be, that little boy the best little boy he can be. So I try to teach parents about diversity. That treat your child like he or she or they are okay. Don't treat them like there's something wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the difference in what I'm saying? Please indicate that you understand the difference. Because there's a big difference in understanding, saying, I treat this child like says something wrong versus I treat this child like he's different, right? And there's nothing wrong with being different, right? We should we should love our differences, celebrate our differences. Being autistic is just a difference. It's not a problem, right? And if the parent looks at their kid like they're broken, they will get something broken back. Do you understand? They'll get something broken back, but they treat their child like a genius. I just have to find how to get that genius out Right, it's like like there's a maze. You know what I mean by a maze? You know, there's like a maze. We got, I gotta find a way in for this child, and then help him or her or they help them express themselves to their fullest potential. That's a huge difference, right? That's what we try to teach our patients. Um, is is not that you're trying to fix something broken, but that you're trying to improve something beautiful, right? And make it make it more because remember all these things are our own social norms that we're talking about right if we if we were in france uh, and we didn't know french are we broken <laughs> no we just don't know the language so how would you fix that you learn the language well you know what i tell parents you got to learn their language you got to learn their language you have to figure out their language you have to figure out how to reach them and we're going to talk about that as we go on uh, with this it's getting really hot in here hold on a second i turn on Sorry, <clears throat> I'm on the floor here, and you see it's all windows and stuff. Um, and um, so anyway, one of the most interesting things that happens with children on the spectrum is um, they have a real big problem with stuff like this. So if you now this this does not count if you are not uh, if you were not born in the United States, so this doesn't count as well. But I just want you to get these uh, these things. This is from the book, so uh, he's obviously talking from a very uh, American-centric point of view, but if so, if you're from the United States and I say, "Oh, say can you?" What's next? What's the next word? 
Very good. <clears throat> Very good. So, but you know that, right? You know that. Uh, I know that. That makes sense. Um, pledge of, what's the next word? If you're born in this country, you know this. Good. So, but, so that's, that's called mind reading. Do you understand? That's called mind reading. Like, in other words, you kind of know what I'm going to say next. Uh, so just being simple, opposites. If I say white, the opposite is black. If I say up, the opposite is down. High, the opposite is low. What happens if you couldn't do that? So I say black and you say pomegranate. I'd be like, what? You know, and I say, how do you finish the sentence? <clears throat> um, you know, uh, oh, say, can you, and you like walk down the hill. What? Right. That's called mind blindness, right? Versus mind reading, mind blindness, which means that the child cannot complete a sentence because they can't figure out what your next thoughts can be. Like in, in chiropractic, if I say, I want you to tell me the line of, you're going to say drive. Because, you know, in the context, if I say, I want you to tell me the line of, you would know that that would mean the line of drive. But what happens if you didn't get that? Right? That's being mind blind. Uh, and it's common in, in people with, with on the spectrum. Um, but this is why people on the spectrum uh, really love the Internet, because they don't have to be, like, they don't have to read emotions. They don't have to uh, to read nonverbal uh, cues. You get it? So that, that so the texting and Facebook, there's it's sort of this a emotional sort of experience where you worry about that kind of stuff, which is why so many people on the spectrum love uh, you know Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. You just type, you type away. Um, the mirror neuron theory is a very important theory. Um, the way we learn almost everything is mirror neurons. Uh, I have a very big concern right now uh, with mirror neurons uh, in terms of babies because we got a lot of people walking around, you know, with masks on their face like this. And how do you learn how to talk? Um, a child, how does a baby, here's Mabel watching me. Now, hopefully, Mabel will be in front of parents and grandparents or whatever that you, they can see their mouth. But if all you do is see this, you're going to have a hard time learning how to talk. So mark my words, a couple years from now, maybe, I'm not sure, but just let's kind of think about this. Um, we might see, because of COVID-19 and all the mask wearing is happening right now, we might see uh, kids having some trouble uh, learning how to talk, uh, who are in daycare a lot, let's say. And in daycare, a lot of the people are wearing masks, um, so they don't spend as much time with mom or dad. Right? Could be, maybe. Uh, and that's what the mirror neurons do. Mirror neurons mimic things. So the way we learn how to how to change uh, the Palmer grasp from this to a pincer grasp like this is by watching mommy and daddy and brother and sister and grandma and grandpa and teachers hold it this way, right? So we we reinterpret this to this. That's a here's comes the brain, right? Is the brain changing from holding something like this, a pomegranate, to holding something like this, right? Prefrontal cortex, you know, basal ganglia, a thalamus, cerebellum, all those things are changing to allow this plasticity to move on 
because part of our neurons, they're not separate neurons, these mirror neurons are not separate neurons, um, but they are, they are neurons that will allow us, they're part of a neuron that allows us to mirror other people's actions. But if we don't see it, right, if we all, if we hear talking but we don't see it, then it's gonna be hard for us to do that. Um, so, but imagine with uh, kids with autism already having problems with their mirror neurons, um, now, they, they don't even they don't even see you talking anyway, so it it's even worse when they can't even actually visibly see it. Now here's an interesting uh, fact that I want you guys to know, because many of you guys think because I, I've I've spoken I've done this every year you know I've taught this four times a year for ten years, many of you guys think that ought like well I mean, let me figure let me ask you this question just to kind of rule it out. How long has autism been around? How long has it been around? Give me a guess, someone guess, please. Seventy years, okay, okay. Good guess, good guess, maybe, yes, <laughs> good guess. Hundreds. That's right, Nina. Hundreds of years. Uh, 1940s. It's a good guess. That's when. That's when it was named Ashton. Uh, that's when it was named. But actually, it's been around for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Uh, there has uh, been proof of of uh, of people who have had autism in Native American tribes in other places. Um, and uh, so, so it's actually been around for centuries, possibly millennia. Um, what was the point? Because there was a point at one time of having someone in your community with autism. What was the point of that person? What, why was that person important in that community? Because what, what function did they, did they play? There was a very important function that the autistic person played in the community hundreds of years ago. They were the medicine men. Right, very good, Nina. The medicine men, the wise one. Medicine men, the 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 wise men, the um the the shaman. Right? Um why is that? Because they remember everything. Right? They have this unbelievable infinite uh, ability to remember everything. Oh, wise one, tell us, you know, the, all the stories about before we came to this great mountain. And blah, 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 he was just tell right. Oh, wise one, um, our child is sick. You know, what herb should we use? Oh, you know, that mushroom from that forest, right? That's what their function was. There was a function for autism. So autism actually was needed in the community. Do you get how powerful that is? Right? The problem with autism isn't that it's here. The problem with much it's here. Do you understand? Do you understand the difference? It's not it's been here forever. This is not a new thing. This is not a, a 1900s thing. 
uh, even though it was just named in the 1900s. What happened is the prevalence, in other words, the increased numbers has come up dramatically because of the neurotoxic world we live in. We talk about a lot, a lot about this in the uh, pediatric, um, advanced pediatric diagnosis class. So if you're interested next quarter, uh, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about uh, Melillo's work and Ken Bach's work uh, with autism. Uh, it's be great, great stuff uh, if you're interested. It's the sister class to this, or brother, or whatever class uh, to this one. Um, so, but that's very important to understand. Do, do you see how profound that is? To realize uh, and make your patients realize that this is not a new thing. That uh, it's just the new, the newness is how many people have autism, but not that there is autism. You know, just like cancer, cancer has been around since Egyptians. You know, uh, they, they've discovered mummies that had cancer. Um, so uh, it's been around forever. So it's not that there is cancer, that there is autism. There always has been this stuff. It's the amount of cancer now killing 500,000 people a year, including my mom, right? Uh, that's the, the crazy uh, thing that's important to understand. <clears throat> um, uh, people with autism are, are not very good at empathy. Empathy is sort of a nonverbal thing. When you see someone who looks sad, you know they're sad. When you see someone looking angry, you know they're angry. But if you don't know that, then that's very hard. So they're not very good at empathizing. They're good at systematizing, right? Uh, that's why a lot of people on the spectrum, especially higher level spectrum, tend to be computer programmers and that kind of stuff. But here's the thing I think is so important from this book is um, uh, they're not sufficiently, people with autism are not sufficiently sociable. And, uh, and that's, you know, we judge that. We judge that, saying that that's wrong. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But how do we know? Why does it have to be that way? Why, if someone is quiet, doesn't want to talk, how's that bad? Right? Like, we're such a judgmental society. It's really a shame. Uh, let me skip a couple things here. Uh, autism, or people with autism, are, are very good at remembering details. Like I mentioned, they're the shamans and that kind of stuff. Um, and as there was an evolutionary advantage to that hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago to know where those mushrooms were, to know where the other tribe is, to know what their history of the tribe was, you know, of the, the community was. Um, they have amazing visual spatial skills. Uh, how many people have heard of Temple Grandin? Please like raise your hand if you've heard of Temple Grandin. Temple Grandin. Really? Okay, so we've all got to try to watch a show. Uh, it was on, it's not, uh, but you can find it. It's called Temple Grandin. I know Amazon, you can rent it. It is the greatest program about autism you've ever seen. Uh, and it's a true story about a woman who's still alive. Her name is Temple Grandin. Um, she was a nonverbal autistic uh, person. And her mom did something which we're talking about in a moment called floor time therapy in which she sat on the floor with her nonverbal kid and did whatever she did until Temple, the girl's name was Temple, uh, until Temple started interacting with the mom and then the mom and the girl started building this bond and then Temple actually started speaking. And this is very unusual, but now Temple is a, like a professor um, of, uh, of uh, agriculture. She's brilliant. Uh, and she actually created something uh, this, 
she created this. This is a, um, she did this, she drew this by hand without going to architectural school. And uh, this, what she figured out was she was very into animals. She loved animals, especially cows. That was her favorite thing. So she went to school. Uh, I'll talk about this in a second. She went to school um, uh, uh, for agriculture uh, and, and got a number of degrees in agriculture and, and farming and stuff. Um, okay, thank you, Paris. Appreciate you telling me. Um, so um, what she found out was that in uh, slaughterhouses, uh, most slaughterhouses were built, uh, before she found out, in very angular. In other words, like they, the cows are coming this way, and then they go this way, and they go this way, and then this way. And she found out that cows hated corners. She didn't, they didn't like corners. So what she came up with is this circular plan um, where they're going like this, and then everything was like a circle like that. Uh, and she found what was happening is that uh, in cows, um, in, in cows who went into her slaughterhouse, a lot of them were able to, to do this in a much more calm way. And uh, because some of these other angular slaughterhouses, the cows were dying. Uh, but in her slaughterhouse, nobody, none of the cows died. So she's a, like a multimillionaire because of this idea, because most of the slaughterhouses adopted her stuff. Uh, oh, thank you, Nicholas. I'm glad that I've explained this. Um, so this is, this is, you all should watch Temple Grin, phenomenal movie. And if you want to watch more about the Lord Time movie, and I'll show you about this a little bit. Um, uh, there's another movie I'll show you in a little while once we get to it. I can't remember the name at the moment. But here is Floor Time Model. Um, so uh, get on their floor and spend time in their world, right? That's what you have to do. Is a child wants to spin plates, spin plates. A child wants to, you know, to poke holes in a piece of paper with a pen, you poke holes in a piece of paper with a pen. And you do this for hours and hours and hours at a time until they get to know you, until they see, until that you build trust with them. And yet, it's super boring for you. But the whole idea is to get the kid out, right? Uh, and this is a this is a giant you know, approach uh, to the kids with autism to help them become more uh, engaged. Here it is, Sunrise. This is a great book and movie. Um, that you can uh, that you can watch. Uh, it's also it was on Netflix not anymore. I think they're both on Amazon now. Temple Grandin and Sunrise. Um, so you see this little boy here. He was a nonverbal autistic boy. Um, his name was Ron Kaufman, and his dad did the floor time therapy and other things. Um, and now this is Ron Kaufman today. He works at a place called the Option Institute. Option Institute, which specializes in kids on the spectrum and other neurodevelopmental problems and helping parents get them, uh, you know, functioning better, right? In a neurodiverse thought process, not that autism is bad or not talking is bad, but helping the kid become the best kid that they can be. So uh, I think that's an important thing to understand. The difference that we're not trying to fix someone, we're trying to make them the best child they can be, whatever that would be, right? So once again, I'm skipping a little. Let's talk about ADHD for a moment. Uh, dopamine is one of the most important things with the kids with ADHD. Um, dopamine, what's the best way to get dopamine? How should kids get dopamine? 
social app, yeah, hugs, yeah, that's good, that's good, but uh, so absolutely, you're both right, laughing is good, yeah, that will produce some mass dopamine, but there's a, the number one way during a school day that you can guarantee a kid get dopamine is by playing outside in the sun, running, exactly, running around, exercising outside in the sun, um, that's how you get dopamine, but most schools have gotten rid of uh, gym, they've gotten rid of uh, recess, you have 20 minutes for lunch to rush through lunch and you know, scarf it down and stuff. So uh, so they, they don't get dopamine. And what happens is they plug on their phones all day long and they sit on iPads all day long. Um, and by sitting on their iPads and playing all day long like this, they start getting dopamine from this. So let me show you what I mean. Let me show you here. Just to prove that I'm just as crazy as the rest of them. Let's see if I get it to work here. So I recognize this, right? Angry Birds. Now I think Angry Birds is kind of fun, uh, so I play once in a while, and I especially started playing just to get uh, so I can talk with other kids about this. But let me show you the problem. See, so I'm connecting right now to Angry Birds, right? And here's some level I didn't do. So watch. So here it shows me this thing, and I take the bird, and I swing it like this. And, oh, the bomb didn't blow up. Oh, that's awful. Oh. So now, now I'm like, oh, my God, i got to get more of this. So now I'm going to go like this, and, I, yes, I got the pig. And what happens at that moment? What happens at that moment? What just happened when I got the pig? Tell me. Tell me. I'm going to show you again. Here's another. I'm going to get another pig here. Oh, I didn't get the pig. Oh. Let me try again. Dopamine release. Very good. Very good. Dopamine. Happiness is true, but it's dopamine release. I, I got to keep on playing. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold. Wait, mama. Wait, wait, wait. I can't stop. I can't stop. Oh, look, it just blew up. Look, it just blew up. You see? Yes, I got all the pigs. I got all the pigs. Right? There's dopamine right there. That's the problem. That's the problem. Instant gratification. You get it? And what happens is when the pigs blow up, now, and now the, the, the guys who made this, Rovio, great company, uh, very smart bunch of people. Um, uh, they're from Sweden or something. Um, very smart bunch of people, but they they didn't think that what they were doing was trying to create dopamine addicts, right? And it's not just that. It's like Temple Run and all these other, you know, what's the Candy Crush and all these things, right? It's all this dopamine release. So instead of getting dopamine from going out there and playing around, they're getting dopamine from a, from a non-natural source, and they're, they're using their prefrontal cortex, and they're looking at blue light, and now you're creating, now you are messing with the brain, right? You're messing with the prefrontal cortex, and now you're getting these dopamine releases in ways that you shouldn't be getting dopamine releases, and now you're creating a dopamine-starved brain pathway. And now you're wondering why the kid can't sit still, right? There's, here, the kid's sitting in a classroom. This week, Georgia's school's open, and now they're sitting on a computer in some cases, right? Here, you go, okay, class. Let's talk about math. Two plus two. Right. Could you imagine 
how boring that is for I just want to go outside, right? That's what we're talking about. That's what that's what it creates this chronic hunger, right? This chronic hunger. And then we blame these kids and send them to principal's office and put them on Ritalin. So it shuts down. What does Ritalin do? What is what's the function of Ritalin? Or Adderall? What's that? What's the function of it? Well, well, that's what it does. You know, it does make you focus. But what's chemistry? Right. It decrease. Well, actually, it helps increase the dopamine. By it's kind of like like um. It does kind of overstimulate. And what it does is it increases the dopamine because it is just like um, uh, an SSRI, like Prozac, which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It inhibits the reuptake of dopamine in the in the uh, in the the synapses. So it actually increases the dopamine. And that's why the kids are on Ritalin. Makes sense? Does all this make sense now? Right? But they're not broken. These kids aren't broken. They're bored. Okay, class. Let's talk about George Washington. Right? That, like, how are you going to get a kid who wants to just run around and play to listen to that kind of dribble? Right? So I'm going to skip a bit here. Um, just like I talked about with autism, how long has ADHD been around? Give me a guess. Based upon what I said with autism, give me a guess. Centuries. That's right, Colin. Centuries. Uh, ADHD has been around for, for millennia, right? What was the title given to a someone with ADHD 300 or 500 or 1,000 years ago, what was their title? If someone with autism was the medicine person or the shaman or the wise one, what's the, what's the title of the, um, of the AH, person with ADHD 100 or, I mean, 500 or 1,000 years ago? Give me a guess. Crazy? No, no, troublemaker. No, 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 no. These guys were revered. No, no. Very good, Alice. Hunters and warriors. These were your hunters and warriors. They were hyperactive, so they had a they did a job in sheltering and engaging uh, and finding food. They were they were distractible, which was really good to make threats. They were impulsive, which means that they were able to to hear an animal and go with their spear. They're the ones who stood in front of the cave, right, to protect their families, right. Troublemakers and craziest today, that's what they call them today, thousands of years ago, right? So the kids with autism today are called geeks, right? And weirdos. Uh, and back then, they were revered. A wise one. Back then, thousands of years ago, they weren't the troublemakers or the crazy ones. And they were the hunters. They were like the great warrior. Here comes Sir Lancelot, the great warrior, right? Because it, to be a warrior, you can't just sit still. That's a good warrior is like, all right, I'll just hang out here and relax, right? A great warrior is ready. So I want you to get that. I want you to get that ADHD has an advantage. The difference is with ADHD and autism, I'm going to write this down for you guys. Remember, ADHD and autism. <clears throat> the problem is, problem is 
not that it exists, but they exist. The problem is the amount of people with these issues, right? That's the problem. You're, you're, you, you're always going to have ADHD, guys. You're always going to have autism. It ain't never going away. How much of it is the problem, right? So when I was a kid, what was the, what was the uh, uh, autism rate? And, and when I uh, was so, uh, born in the 60s, <laughs> um, when I was a kid, what was the autism rate? Guess. We're going to wrap this up in a minute. What was the autism rate in the 60s and 70s? Just give me a wild guess. One in 200 would have been great. One in 10,000 in 1970, that was the rate. Today, it is what? Today is what? Oof, that'd be horrible. Right, and Nicholas, somewhere between 139, 142, 150, I'm hearing different results, but it's something in that range, one in 40 to one in 50, right? So to go from, to go from one in 10,000, 10, to one in 50, like, what's going on here, right? That's the real big question, right? So the question isn't that there is autism, that there's ADHD, the question is why is there so much? Number one, that's the first question, why is there so much? Why is there so much? And number two is, and really to understand this, is with neurodiversity, how do we make this okay? Right? Is how do we make this okay? This is not a bad thing. This is not, this is, we shouldn't make the child feel bad, right? Don't make the child feel bad about ability. Got it? Do you see why I showed this to you guys? This to you guys. This is a very, very, very different thought process than the traditional thought process of most modern healthcare, which is all about fixing something is broken, right? Fixing something broken versus helping reach potential. There's a huge difference in that. Do you understand? Right? That is one of the most important things I'm, I'm going to teach in this class. Is yes, Stephanie. Class is, is there's a giant difference between fixing something broken versus helping reach potential. And how do we maximize that? How do we, what can we do to feed into that, right? 
So when a child comes into your office, no matter what, exactly, Paris, no matter what, change the perspective. Regardless of autism, ADHD, the child's got seizures. They're not broken, right? That's not broken. It's just how do we make them the best they can be, right? Don't say I'm going to fix your seizures. Don't say I'm going to fix your allergies. Don't say I'm going to fix your back pain. I'm going to make you the best you can be. Remove subluxations, make you the best you can be. Isn't that a better way to look at it? In my opinion, it is, right? In my opinion, it is.